All right. Looks like we're ready to rumble here. Uh, I've got our caller on the line, and we are set for another night on the panic attack with Big John. Uh, Caller, how do you want to introduce yourself? Let's just say Doc from the conservative underground. There we go. So an old, old underground conservative friend. Not that old, but uh, old in the term we go way back. That's right. Absolutely. So we're in about, uh, what is it? We're almost, we're past the first month of quarantine. Um, Let's, let's hit some good news for the day today. uh, The first reported people over 100 years of age have come, uh, become coronavirus free. So that's great news. One, the man was 101 years old and there was a lady that was 102. No, don't know if they were related or not uh, in any way, but that shows hope if a 101-year-old uh, with the, the medicines they're taking now uh, can survive this. I think there's hope for all of us. And British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been moved down from ICU to a regular hospital unit, according to President Trump's speech. So those are some good things on the coronavirus front. Uh, before we get going into all this craziness that's going on, I I don't know about your part of Ohio, but uh, where I'm at, the weather has been insane the last two days. We, we almost had tornadoes. And some places did get uh, tornadoes, at least on radar, and one touchdown, I think, in Mahoning or Trumbull County. Uh, and on my street, uh, I could hear sound like things falling down off of And then it got closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, I sounded like a train. Like, the, you know, they say when there's a tornado, you always hear a train-like sound. So I don't know if we had a microburst or what, but there was a good minute or two of something sounded like a train going by. Uh, and then today, I'm driving home from work and I see snow flurries for crying out loud. So I don't know what's. Oh, look at that! <laughs> How are things up your way? Well, it is kind of odd. Uh, you know, to be perfectly uh, honest with you, um, I this this morning I was out uh, looking outside, and I don't know, it was, it was bright. It wasn't very warm, but it was bright. And then I looked outside, and it was a blizzard. And <laughs> you know, by the end of the afternoon, you look outside, and it's sunny again. Again, the temperature the temperature wasn't uh, all that great, but. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, crazy weather patterns for sure. I don't know. Maybe the COVID-19 has affected climate change, too. Uh, it actually may end up being, interesting yeah. enough, a, 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 disease, a, a disease here, a virus with civil rights. 
We'll have, mm. we'll have to see how it plays. Yeah, out. That, that. It's clearly a virus that is affecting the weather, maybe. Uh, maybe it'll also be a virus that has civil rights. Yeah, it's uh, now they're saying uh, that more women are testing positive, but they're kind of blaming it on male chauvinism that we men wait until we're almost dying until we doctor. So that's why the number is a little higher uh, for women contracting or being diagnosed anyways. But um, so getting into all this sadness, a lot of people have gotten too much free time on their hands, I think, and have gotten uh, Corona cabin fever. And now the conspiracy theories are starting to fly around. Um, let's, uh, I guess I, since I have it up, it might actually be ready to play, jump into today in Columbus, Ohio, and we're one of the states that's doing better than most with the pandemic and the numbers of cases and things, at least so far, but there were protesters in Columbus and you could hear them, I guess, during the press conference chanting uh, Acton has got to go one person had Acton as Dr. Amy Acton the head of the Ohio Department of Health um, and somebody had a protest sign that she was uh, the most dangerous person uh, in Ohio so let's hear what she had to say a lot of confusing messages out in the media. And I want to say to you, Ohioans, stay strong, keep doing the right thing. I don't know if you can hear um, through the television, but there are people protesting right now outside the state house. And, and, and people are worried. They're afraid. They're afraid about things like their jobs. And I want you to know that we are working just as rigorously on the recovery from this. We've been determined to protect Ohioans from the very beginning. And the steps we have taken and you are continuing to take are saving lives. We have to be redetermined on responsibly recovering. There's a lot of work we'll be sharing in the days ahead, but I wanna tell you an analogy that has come to mind for me. And in hearing the voices, it, it's really striking home. This is a hard mountain to climb, everyone. My husband and I, we talked a lot about the climbing the Mount Everest analogy. Um, he and I had the opportunity a couple years ago to try to climb the tallest mountain, Mount Whitney, here in the United States. And there are so many lessons we can take from that. It is an arduous climb up this mountain, and we have done it together. I want you to know it's very hard work on descent, too. Climbing mountains takes an incredible amount of teamwork. It takes having Sherpas and people to help us lead the way. It takes being very careful and going to each base camp carefully. I want you to know that every move we're making is based in the best science and we will not leave your side as we get you carefully through this arduous journey ahead. And it's a mountain range. We are climbing and are reaching a peak of a mountain here in Ohio, and we will be seeing a lot of hospitalizations and deaths. But we will escort you 
equally as carefully, and we hope to be one of the most aggressive and assertive states on that recovery, getting down that mountain and getting back to our lives, but we must do it responsibly. Thank you. So I think, uh, you know, Governor DeWine and Dr. Acton have acted responsibly. I also want to say that the Ohio people have acted responsibly in going along with these uh, orders and mandates. I know we were we're both um, not happy that the primary election was canceled. Uh, the general election is another story, and I, it's going to go forward, I, I'm sure, because that's a federal decision, not a state or local decision, at least as far as I know. But with what uh, we have done as Ohioans, that means you and I and other people, is what is keeping us uh, safe and healthy and is what is lowering this curve, as they call it. And we're going to talk more about the curve and the models later. But I saw a friend of mine posted a hit piece uh, earlier this week, and now it's starting to boil against this Dr. Acton. And in this article from lifenews.com, which is a pro-life uh, website, they talked about, you know, Dr. Acton is not qualified for her job because she worked at an abortion clinic, and I guess she was the head of the abortion clinic, and it also says that DeWine did not do a good job of vetting her because she had been in the news for uh, supporting and campaigning hard for President Obama. I do, <coughs> do not think that those things disqualify her from being in her position. Um, I don't see, at least I, I haven't seen where she's put her pro-abortion stance ahead of any policy. Uh, you know, in Ohio, we have the heartbeat bill, the heartbeat law, I should say, uh, where, you know, once there's a heartbeat, there cannot be an abortion until after certain steps are taken. Um, I've never seen her use her position as director of the Ohio Health Department to speak out against the heartbeat law. So uh, what are your thoughts and feelings on is she doing the right thing, and is she qualified or disqualified from this position because of her stance on abortion and because she campaigned for President Obama? Well, I don't know what her stance is on abortion. I've heard some rumors uh, that it might be one way or the other, but I, I don't know. I don't think she's ever addressed that publicly, and I, I haven't seen it. Uh, anywhere, uh, even on some of these more <clears throat> radical sites, um, I haven't seen them document what her position really is now. So I can't really say uh, whether or not she campaigned for Barack Obama. Uh, Maybe a lack of better judgment, but I don't think that disqualifies her from uh, 
you know, being the director of the Department of Health or anything like that. So I guess, you know, on the surface, I would dismiss it um, prima facie because I don't know any more than somebody telling me she supported Obama and his pro-choice. Well, okay, um, I, I need a little bit more than that. So if that's all that we have, then no, I don't um, I don't think that impacts my view of her any one way or another until you, you find out that it is, uh, you know, maybe part of a uh, philosophy that she has that uh, would be troubling. All right. How, what do you think of the way that her and uh, Governor DeWine have handled this? Uh, looking at it now, we've had a few weeks to take in the restrictions on uh, going out to bars and restaurants. Uh, now they've set some parameters for how many people can be in a store at one time. I think if it's a big store like Walmart, it, they can only let 100 to 150 people in. Um, I've seen some of the smaller stores where I'm at, uh, like Dollar General and some even some gas stations, say we can only have 10 people in the store at a time. Others say 20 people, and it's posted on the door. Um, almost everywhere you go now, there's um, – there are X's on the floor. And the other day I got kind of had a cashier get snippy with me. because so I sat my items on the conveyor belt there and I was about like the length of my foot in front of the X on the floor. And I smiled and nodded at the cashier and she's like, you need to get back on that X. And I'm like, Whoa, okay. So with these things that they've implemented, the social distancing, the number of people allowed into a store. Do you think that's what's flattening the curve here in Ohio or lessening, lessening no, the you curve? Know, I think that there is, um, there's a lot of, um, I, I think it has, I think it's having an, an impact, but I don't know to the degree that this is being, uh, that it's impacting because one of the problems is, the original models were just completely and totally, uh, you know, looking back, is out of whack. I mean, the idea that we would ever have seen two million cases of uh, two million deaths in the United States from COVID-19 when there's 90,000 right now worldwide. I mean, we're never going to get to those numbers. And it. It is, it is off by such a dramatic number that it even causes you to raise questions to how accurate the original estimates were. So if, if you're telling me that mm -hmm. is, is uh, uh, social distancing working, staying at home, I, I can say, well, probably, yeah, it's working, but to the degree that it's working, I don't think we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have a, a, a true test subject where uh, there's a control group, which would be the group that has the social distancing in it, and then a group that is just, excuse me, go do whatever the hell you want to do. 
Now, you could argue that New York City, and I've seen some people on YouTube argue this, that New York City is the other half of the, the model because, you know, their mayor, Speaker Pelosi even, well, I, she might have been doing it in, in San Francisco or somewhere, but their mayor, other public officials were saying, hey, go on about your lives when our governor was saying, whoa, stop everything. And when the president was starting to enact uh, recommendations and travel bans. So maybe New York is the uh, other half of the, the test. You know, Ohio is the control group and New York is the other group that's, you know, not the controlled group. So we're getting the medication and New York's getting the placebo, so to speak. I don't know. Well, that's some, um, that is, you know, definitely research methods, uh, political science, uh, 101, 105 or 4,000, whatever. But uh, I, I guess I would look at it this way. A lot of these orders that were issued by the governors to stay at home uh, roughly came at about the same time. You know, Ohio shut down the state with about six or seven cases reported. So, right. you know, on one hand, you can say that that was pretty early on. If you're faced with a projection of 100,000 cases and upwards to 10,000 new ones a day, if you have that information and that's given to you, doing that sort of action with only five cases doesn't sound irrational. I believe that Governor DeWine has everyone's best interests in mind. However, as we begin to look back a little bit, um, it looks like that original data may have been inflated. Like they're revising the United States death tolls, the United States death tolls from 2 million to 200,000 to 100,000 to 80,000. Now it's 60,000. That isn't something where it goes from, you know, from 100,000 to 60,000. That's a significant drop. No. And I, that, right. that sort of variance almost leads you to believe that the initial projections were not right. And more than just we have to adapt, this, it just may not have been right. So, you know, the tricky part for a lot of people is going to be is walking these orders back. When you tell people that two million no. deaths are going to occur if you do nothing, people will say shut it down. People will say lock it down. No one wants to be that's that's a pretty significant number, even in a country of 300 million people. 300 or 400 million people. But if you were to have started out by saying, you know, there'll be 60,000 deaths and we have to lock everything down around the country. I don't know if you would have had that sort of response. Right. Yeah. You, you definitely would not, had they not given you some stone cold, hard facts and, you know, Italy is the, the, the prime example. I mean, basically, and I mean, they're a much smaller country than the United States, but 
you know, their entire country is, uh, was affected traumatically. Uh, and because they didn't take measures quickly enough. Um, now, the United States, you know, as soon as we had a case, and of course, the media is trying to do different things. But as soon as, you know, what we had one case, one death, and Trump said, I'm shutting down all travel from China. Uh, and then that's when all the, the people in New York City that I just mentioned, you know, started their, uh, oh, just go on about life. This is nothing more than a cold or a flu, uh, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, let's uh, look at Dr. Fauci. Today he said that the best way to stop the spread of a virus is, and he said it in like one sentence and then just walked off. He said is social distancing. And it seems like that's correct. I mean, obviously, whether it's the normal cold season or the flu season, we've all been taught over the last few years since uh, the swine flu that you know, we have to keep our distance. We have to uh, sneeze into our elbow crease. You know, all these things. Uh, Now, I heard one idiot saying, uh, I don't have his Facebook post, but he quoted somebody in the media saying that Dr. Fauci is a Democrat plant. And Dr. Fauci is out for his own agenda. First of all, he's been there 30 years since Ronald Reagan was president. So, you know, the Democrats had that much foresight to look ahead and say, oh, we got to plant this guy in government because, you know, 30 years from now, there's going to be this pandemic and, you know, we need him to lead the president astray uh, is a lot of bit ludicrous to me. But uh, what what are your thoughts on Dr. Fauci? He seems to be the leading uh, almost the, the the power behind the throne or the the what do you call that the mass not the master the brains of the operation kind of him and dr Burke. yeah well um i i'm concerned that the medical um folks have far more control over this than they should at this point that that bothers me because we're we're getting at a point now where um your projections, initial projections, are clearly no longer valid, and they never were going to be valid because they assumed no mitigation. There was always going to be mitigation. Right. As this has gone along, and one thing to be clear here, the federal government is not shutting down business. The federal government's not telling you or ordering you to stay at home. That's the states. So there's a there's a clear thing here. Right. What the federal government did early on by restricting travel to China was a good thing. Travel to and from China was a good thing. Um, so the states, though, on the other hand, have been the ones that have caused the economy to ground to a halt. Sixteen 
1.8 million Americans lost uh, their job in the last three weeks. 16.8 million. Now, if we were seeing anywhere near the deaths and the rapid increase of cases, I think people would look at that number a little bit differently. But we're not. We're seeing things dramatically. Mm -hmm. And it's good news. We should be embracing good news. You started the broadcast off by talking about good news. So the extent that Dr. Fauci or Dr. Bricks, Brex, uh, yeah, Burks, Burks, or to the yeah. extent that they have influence into this um, management of of this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic is appropriate, so long as the reaction is is balanced between a public health emergency that is not as serious as what we thought that is primarily focused to densely populated urban areas versus Uh widespread apocalyptic numbers throughout every breadth of the country and balance that with the economic realities, which is we're spending trillions of dollars in the economy with no real way to spend the money, we're injecting a lot of money with no way to really spend it yet. And s- almost 17 million people, you know, we're going to have an unemployment rate of 10 or 15%. And you, and right. you don't just turn that back on, especially if you have people that are now enrolled in unemployment benefits with all of this extra stimulus bailout money coming in for a period of time, it's not going to be economically beneficial to even work. If you wanted to, you'd make less money. So, so that's really yeah, I, I've, I've heard that. I don't have a problem with Dr. Fauci. I don't have a problem with Dr. Brooks. I don't have a problem with you know, the, the public health thing as it's been laid out to us. But at a point, and I think it's coming sooner rather than later, and maybe before people are really 100% comfortable, we are going to have to get the economy rolling again. Well, I think, um, you know, they've said that there's not going to be, Dr. Fauci said, that there's not going to be a set of numbers that works everywhere, that it's going to be a state-by-state rollback and a region-by-region rollback of the recommendations to the states and things of that nature. And that's that's Um, rational. I mean, because New York is really – well, they're kind of coming out of this. It's not really being reported, and 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 they haven't gone as uh to the deep as they thought they would but new york new york is getting some deaths but deaths are a lagging indicator for this thing you know people get sick and they start recovering but people who had been sick and really sick are you know not recovering and unfortunately they're dying so you can't look at this and say well the death rate keeps on going up you know some of the key factors is hospitalization rates 
intensive care unit rates, uh, the strain on the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to see those cases go down and, and you start to plan out to 8, 10, 11, 12 days of cases not doubling um, from day to day, um, mm-hmm. even if the death rate's still kind of going up, you, you can look at this and say, oh, we may be getting this under control. Yeah, I think we are getting it under control. I think, but, um, but the targeted. The, this may just stress. I, I think targeted, as a, the targeted, good uh, uh, approach. I don't have a problem with as we talk about it today, because New York is an epicenter. It is a, a right. it is a big number of the cases that we have in this country is out of New York. They got a big problem for a lot of reasons, mm. some of which we don't even know why. So maybe they stay under lockdown right? and you start to build out, you know, around that to areas that aren't as susceptible to this outbreak as densely populated urban areas, because we cannot continue this way. It has been almost a month. There's still another three weeks of this left. That's two months almost under lockdown. I don't know how much more strain the economy can take where it's a virtual, you know, there's, there's production going on. There's, it seems like a lot of essential work happening, but there's no commerce going on. Yeah. Other than, you know, Walmart and grocery stores um, and gasoline, which was 99 cents today in Warren, Ohio. Um, you know, there's not a lot going on in commerce. You're right. Um, now, maybe some of these high death, the death toll is as high as what you had mentioned and one of the other things that is fueling some conspiracy theories is, uh, well, let me read what Diamond and Silk posted on Instagram. Then I'll play this Dr. Scott Jensen, senator from Minnesota, as well as a medical doctor. Uh, quote, Diamond and Silk, we told y'all something ain't right. Minnesota senator and Dr. At Dr. Scott Jensen said that he received a seven page document from the Minnesota Health Department to fill out death certificates with a diagnosis of COVID 19, whether the person actually died from COVID 19 or not. Why is hashtag MN for Minnesota inflating COVID 19? death numbers and let me play the video of dr scott jensen he said i think is critically important can you repeat what you just said please well last friday i received a seven page document that sort of told me that if i had an 86 year old patient that had pneumonia but was never tested for COVID 19 but sometime after she came down with pneumonia we learned that she had been exposed to her son who had no symptoms 
but later on was identified with COVID-19, that it would be appropriate to diagnose on the death certificate COVID-19. And we've not done that. If someone has a pneumonia after, and, and it's in the middle of a flu epidemic, and I don't have a test on influenza, I don't diagnose influenza on the death certificate. I will say uh, this elderly patient died of pneumonia. I, I don't mean to rupture, but I, I, my heart is sinking right now as you're telling me this. You're, you're a doctor. Why in the world would they be sending you out information to fill out death certificates where the person's been diagnosed with COVID-19 or not, and that you're saying that death certificate, this person's death, was caused by COVID-19? That, that does not sound right to me. I went to the person in our office who does most of the death certificates over the last you know, 10, 20 years, and I said, does this sound right? I had her look at the documents that I printed off. She said, well, we've always been told that you always put down just facts. You don't put down any probabilities. You don't put any presumptions down. It's just what you know. And so this is concerning. And it actually gets to your point, Chris. When we start talking about the data that goes into the model, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we being forthright? Are we sharing with the public? Minnesota, North Dakota, we don't need to be having it sugar-coated. We want to know. But what's going into your model? So with that being said, why would they want to skew the number of deaths due to COVID-19? Well, here's a great way to control people. And I worry about that. I worry that sometimes we're so darn interested in just jazzing up the fear factor. You just said, I think is critically important. Can you repeat okay. what you just said, please? The video is automatically well, starting Friday, itself. I the seven-page document. Okay, so the video went into uh, automatic restart mode. Uh, it was going to repeat itself. So there's Dr. Scott Jensen, who's also a senator from Minnesota. And it looks like maybe Minnesota is trying to inflate the, the death number, the number of deaths for COVID-19 or... Uh, something's going on there. And that data that's going to be entered into the system incorrectly is going to affect how these models that we're all so concerned about work. Um, so what are your thoughts on what well, Dr. Jensen just that, said? Well, it's troubling that, you know, is really what's happening. Uh, that's pretty troubling. You know, it makes it sound like, uh, you know, there's an attempt here to count uh, as many cases as you possibly can uh, for this that wouldn't normally be counted that way. Um, there was a similar sort of article here uh, from WIHO-TV in Ohio, Channel 7, Eyeball News. Health departments across Ohio will now count who has tested positive for COVID-19, as well as people suspected of having uh, coronavirus, but who have not been tested. Uh, this is according to the county medical, the, the county health medical director, Dr. Michael Don. Uh, so whatever county this is in, WIHO, uh, I don't know right offhand, Channel 7, Eyeball News, um, we're going to be counting people suspected of having coronavirus. Why is that? Um, I don't know. I mean, the first rational response is because um, uh, it'll help us get 
to even our adjusted projections. You know, in Ohio, they're saying now 1,600 new cases per day. That's down from 10. But it's real easy to say, well, it's down because we've stayed at home. You know, so um, it's like they can't right. lose no matter which way you turn, which gets back to the point of if the original data was bad and it appears to have been bad and overhyped, should have been numbers that may, should have more than likely never have been used publicly. Um, the degree to which that this has worked uh, is not as stark. And that's a key point here. The degree to which this has worked is perhaps not as stark when you compare it to uh, the new projections. So, um, it, you know, I guess it would be nice um, uh, if, if we could kind of uh, get to a point where uh, we can begin to operate from data that, be, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, you know, my problem a, is... I just um, want to be perfectly clear. That's not a, a knock on Dr. Right. Acton or the governor or anyone else. What a lot of people don't understand is when you're in a leadership position and it's your responsibility, that's a big difference than sitting here doing a podcast or calling into a radio show or writing a blog. Uh, you, Yeah, or, uh, or being an anchor on CNN or PMSNBC. Go ahead and finish exactly your right. thought. You are accountable. The decisions you make and that sort of responsibility affects people differently. And you can look at uh, Texas and Florida and Georgia, where governors have done a targeted sort of uh, approach to this. And their numbers are in line with states that have been more, at least according to the media, more aggressive, like Ohio. They're all relatively in line here. And there are outliers, but only a handful. And in some cases that were outliers early on, the states have been able to get this under control in a relatively short period of time. So all of that said, I want to reemphasize, Acton and DeWine and the people of Ohio were presented data. More than likely, it was flawed data, but they had to make a decision with what they saw at the time. And it was a pretty serious set of information. And it was thought that we would act quick and get out ahead of it. And I don't fault anyone for acting, and I presume that they were, in the public's best interests. But where, again, that we come into uh, a, a moment is, will they continue to follow the data? Will they continue to... Uh, look at other factors that are uh, as important to the long-term survival of the economy, which if that tanks, you're talking about millions of people for sure being affected and untold, unmeasurable to date lives that could be affected uh, through that uh, uh, PTSD, through suicides, through bad social behavior that may encounter along with hospitals who are kind of standing 
at ease right now. They're not treating patients for anything else besides COVID-19 and serious health issues. And so now hospitals are beginning to feel a financial pinch. They're losing money and they're luckily being subsidized by the federal government through Medicare and Medicaid to continue this sort of uh, on guard posture. But at some point that's going to wear off. So you can sit here and you can talk about saving lives and doing all these things. But when the data shows that it wasn't as bad as what we thought, and in fact, it is relatively manageable, if we can get to that point, then we need to begin to uh, start allowing people to work, get back to work, and um, in a responsible way uh, without, you know, uh, without sort of just saying we're going to keep it all locked down until we're really sure. Uh-huh. And, you know, there are, as Mike Pence put it, medications that make you feel better, uh, or as doctors call them, treatments that are now being shown to be effective. The uh, high, not fishbowl cleaner, but actual hydro or hydroxychloroquine with uh, azithromycin. And uh, zinc, uh, which is a mineral, but you can buy zinc just about any drugstore or any store. I mean, it's readily available, and it's kind of, over the last few years, it's the new vitamin C. Remember, when we were growing up, everyone said, drink your orange juice or take your vitamin C for a stronger immune system. Well, now they're telling you to fight off viruses, take a lot of zinc so anyways i think as these uh treatments or medications become available they should be releasing some of these restrictions that this is not a death sentence uh it's not aids or hiv where what we had about a 20-year span where if you got aids there was no treatment, there was no medicine, there was nothing. And then finally, you know, now you don't even hear about it anymore. I mean, unless you're, you know, in the heroin, dirty needle community. But, you know, there are actually medicines now that treat AIDS and HIV. And people can, like Magic Johnson's lived with it since 1991. If you believe he uh, even had so, it in the first place. Anyhow. Uh, well, yeah, that's debatable, too. Uh, but we uh, we know that medications are, are working on this and drug companies are testing new medications. Now, where Dr. Fauci uh, gets criticized because he won't rubber stamp the hydroxychloroquine, uh, Z-Pak, and zinc combination is because he doesn't have the two test groups like I talked about before. We don't have a control group that's getting medication and then a group that's getting a placebo or a sugar pill. Because if you're diagnosed with this COVID-19, right now you think you've got a death sentence. Hell no, you're not going to sign up for a study that says, yeah, get, make me sick and then give me a sugar pill 
or give me a real pill, you know. So, you, you know, but with the data that's coming out and the testimonies I'm seeing online, that hydroxychloroquine is uh, uh, becoming a lifesaver. I've heard rumors and on the meet, on the news, and uh, Trump might have even said it. Somebody said it on TV the other day that uh, doctors and nurses are taking hydroxychloroquine as a preventative, and also people that have been taking hydroxychloroquine for their arthritis um, are not catching COVID-19. Now, I haven't seen factual evidence of that, but uh, these are some of the things you're hearing. So if we've got a medicine out there for it, now you really can say that this is nothing but a flu. Uh, one problem I have with their testing is they're only testing the sickest or the sick. People, uh, they had a drive-up uh, test clinic at a park in Campbell, Ohio. And they've had them in other places too, I'm sure. But you had to pre-register and you had to have symptoms and then they would give you the test. And that to me, that's not fair. If I have these germs in my body that are going to take two weeks to come into effect or you know, make me actually physically sick, I want to know two weeks ahead of time so I can get the medicine and start fighting it before I get to that uh, super sick point and then you know, have to be down for two weeks. And, you know, I'd rather be not quote unquote sick for two weeks on medication and then come out of quarantine in two weeks and resume my life instead of being sick and quarantined for two weeks and yeah, then absolutely. have to start over. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and plus to, you know, test the people that they need for these models they need to test people that have the virus but aren't showing symptoms. That would help in this modeling also, they say. Now, um, I do want to give some more credit to Mike DeWine or Governor DeWine. Uh, you know, he has come out and said, you know, we're going to get buy everything we can buy off of the marketplace. And... If we can't get it in the market, damn it, we're going to make it ourselves. Uh, and I think that's really cool that he's doing, he's going that far. He's got prisoners working on making masks and things. Um, and when I was talking about good news earlier, there was a hospital in Tennessee that found those hard-to-find, uh, really industrial N95 masks. They found them in storage, but the elastic bands didn't hold up in storage. So they got uh, like 250 or 400 people with sewing machines to volunteer and put new, uh, new uh, rubber bands or elastic bands on these masks. And that now this hospital in Tennessee has 26,000 masks and they did it all in one weekend. <coughs> so there's another way Americans are pulling together and, you know, helping each other out where if we can't find something on the marketplace, we're making it or 
we're finding it in storage and refurbishing it. Um, also today, Mike Pence said that instead of using these uh, throwaway gowns because it became cheaper in the short run, they're going to go back to using the old, uh, trying to use the old uh, cloth gowns that doctors were used to wear. And then, you know, they can wash them and use them again the next day. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work, but um, talking about this stimulus and getting the economy rolling, these, well, some of the uh, $1,200 checks and whatever they are came out in the last few days. And also, a lot of these people you're talking about on unemployment are backlogged and haven't received their unemployment yet. So some people may be going back to work by the time they get their stimulus and their unemployment checks. And so we could see an economic boom real quick where people just have extra money in their pocket. And, you know, we don't save money. We get it and we spend it. But Anyhow, well, I think here's where got a little off this. track. And let's just keep this, you know, this is encapsulates the whole thing. We have very little idea what positive tests mean. We're over 300,000, but they rise more or less linearly with the number we conduct. So does that mean the epidemic is spreading or we're just running more tests? Bert? Yeah, I think we're well, just running more tests on sick know, people. These cases are the 50 some odd thousand cases we've done is uh, mostly um, sick people. Uh, we have very little idea why the regional differences in the ratio of positive tests to hospitalizations and deaths, both among states and internationally, are so profound and persistent. So we also have very little real world evidence that lockdowns slow the transition, at least over any period short enough to reduce health system strain. And in fact, even one of the doctors at the World Health Organization acknowledges that they mostly seem to push it inside families. So there is some degree of uh, success with lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, but um, it's kind of tough to point to it. The most prominent models that we've created don't seem to work at all, and in fact, have blown up in days after they're released, producing hospitalization estimates that far outstrip reality. And that's what we've been talking about here. Um, the CDC has now mm -hmm. issued death coding rules that mean that COVID death counts in the United States are likely to be wildly higher than similar counts for other respiratory infections, making the epidemic look far deadlier than flu epidemics, whatever the reality. And in the face of all of this uncertainty, instead of considering backing off on the lockdown measures that have closed schools, and at this point probably put close to 20 million Americans out of work, we are doubling down and looking to lengthen them. So of, of what I've just mentioned there, is a uh, encapsulation from Alex uh, Berenson on Twitter, who's gaining more and more attention through his work and tracking this. I would probably take a little bit of issue with the lockdowns inside, maybe a little bit more with Dr. Fauci and his pretty clear statement that they work, end of sentence. 
Um, though it is, you take a look at places uh, like Italy, uh, who, you know, they did the lockdowns, but, uh, you know, it, it also could have helped spread the virus to elderly people because in Italy, uh, the nuclear family is uh, a little bit more prevalent than in other parts uh, of the world, uh, you know, including the United States. So if you're having people that have been exposed uh, that are younger and the symptoms aren't there beyond maybe I just don't feel good today, uh, you're keeping people in homes, somebody's going to get sick. So the, the bigger point right. in all of this is, it, number one, there is a lot of uncertainty. And that leads you to believe that the initial projections were, in fact, off. And somebody, before another 20 million Americans become unemployed, and we have to deal with the economic repercussions of that, is going to have to make a hell of a call and say, we're going to open this thing up. And I don't see that happening until at least uh, 1st of May. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think 1st of May, I really think we will start seeing an opening up of things. Um, and w let's get into this, this model debate um, the initial models were for if nobody did anything. Now, I thought I heard uh, one initial model for this in the United States was like four million deaths, two well, like two point five to four million, two million uh, if we took action. And we're, and we're down to 61,000 okay. now. So. It's a huge drop. Yeah. It's more than just a little drop. drop. And I'm, I'm glad it's dropping. And uh, the, the way that I've heard this modeling described is heard it described this. Um, this is how I heard it described. Sure. Can you play that again through the speakers? I, I didn't hear it real clear. Is it working? Which is typical. All right, I heard it, but it was wasn't real clear. Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, just, just explain it. It wasn't that models. long of a clip. That he's he's never been in a he's never been in a model. Oh, the I'm not right. At least not this kind. <laughs> so. Uh, the way I think they, these work are kind of like a weather forecast. Uh, as you see the storm approaching, you know, we can see a snowstorm or uh, a cold front coming. And as it gets closer to your neighborhood, 
the more accurate the forecast becomes. So with these models, the more data that is entered into the model, then the more accurate it becomes. So the argument is that mitigation is changing the models. That's the argument that Dr. Acton, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, uh, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump are taking is that because we've mitigated to this extent, the models are changing with the data. Now, I still don't think that the data in the models is accurate as we've been discussing because not everybody is getting tested, only the sickest of the sick. But or may, we'll just say the sick people are getting tested. We won't say the people that are near death, but only people with symptoms are getting tested. Um, and there's a wide array of symptoms. But the, the models will change, you know, scientifically, the more data you enter into them. So, you know, where, where do you stand on that? Is, is the data and the mitigation what is changing the model? Um, I, I think what's, to I think me, you, what's clear, and I'm not any kind of expert on this kind of thing, but to me, what's clear is that somebody somewhere, and I think it started with the London Imperial study, uh, said that, uh, you know, we were going to have 4 million yeah. people in the United States 500,000 people in the United Kingdom die from this thing uh, if we don't do anything. And that just jolted everybody out of their seats. Two million people if we did something. And that's even a staggering figure. And I think it just caused everybody to, you know, to panic. And so, you know, one of the questions I would have is, you Uh know, where did this clown come up with these figures? And it didn't take long after uh, this became public. And this guy, I forget his name, was asked to testify in front of a committee in the House of Commons in the United Kingdom uh, for him to walk that back. And it was only after about two days of the lockdown in the United Kingdom. So there would be no way to even judge whether or not the lockdowns were working or not. Because, you know, it takes a couple of weeks for these cases to Uh materialize, according to what I've heard from the, quote, experts. So either this guy had a set of data points in front of him and they and they just went with the worst or um, he's making it up as it goes along, which is probably just as bad. So to me, you can only go with bad data for so long. And when it was clear that these worst case unmitigated scenarios weren't playing out, they began to adjust the data, which is fine. But um, again, it comes down to, well, now what do you do? And when you've scared everybody half to death and you've got a significant portion of the population that is convinced that they're going to die if they walk outside of the house or they're going to die if you. Uh, let this uh, these bans uh, uh, expire anytime soon, whatever soon means, uh, you know, you, you've now created uh, uh, institutionalized fear 
in uh, the populace to, to, to do anything. So, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know a lot about health modeling or coding or anything like that. But what I do know is that when you have a data set, you know, you can be wrong and you can plug in new data. And that doesn't mean that you are wrong. But when things vary, such as they have, good God, I mean, uh, we're never going to see. Here's one thing I can say pretty confidently, if not absolutely confident. In Ohio, we're never going to have 100,000 cases of this. We're just not going to. And in Ohio, we are never going to get no. to 10,000 cases a day. Now, if you want to say, well, that's because of social distancing and the stay-at-home order, I would say to you that it's a matter of degree. Because if you want to then say, well, we could have had all of this, I'll say, I don't even believe that was accurate because... We're now from 10,000 to 1,600, and I even question that at the peak. Now, if they start to say we're going to count people who have tested positive, confirmed, and people we believe to have it without being tested, then you may get there. And maybe that's the goal, is to at some point provide some sort of factual, uh, documented uh, evidence to the extent that it's credible evidence. Uh, for the actions that they are taking and to continue the actions that they are taking. Um, that's a different sort of conversation. But again, I, I want to be clear. I don't have a problem with shutting the things mm -hmm. down if the best evidence that you had in front of you at the time was apoplectic, uh, apocalyptic. Uh, but that standard has to be adjusted as we come to the realization that these projections are never going to occur. Will people die? Absolutely. And that's a sad tragedy. Are more people going to get sick? Absolutely. Can we stay closed until we get a vaccine for all of this? No. We cannot stay closed for a year and a half or two years. You just can't do it. Are there things out there that could treat this for some people? Yes. And if you want to, you should be able to elect into trying for those things um, that Trump has been talking about and, and other options something to kind of get this under control we also need to be testing people who have had this and have recovered and find out uh you know what kind of antibiotics this is and how they're recovering and how long they were sick uh we need we need to do some more testing but we also need to be you know pretty clear and honest with uh what the testing is all about right um I think, you know, the testing, you know, science is not an exact science. And, you know, data and models and forecasts will change. No, but there are absolutes. You know, as there, time science, changes. Science has an set of absolutes. Uh, but the problem with you know, science is, you know, it's like climate change. We all know that the temperature in the earth is changing you know we we know the climate patterns change the question right. is why is it changing and so on one hand you have science that's pretty clear mm -hmm. the temperatures are fluctuating just look at today <laughs> the damn climate seems to change five times and and especially since yesterday you get a sunburn yesterday a winter right. day and frostbite tonight i mean go figure what the hell is that but um you know right. you have uh then why is that happening? And the people that say, well, it's man-made and here's the data. 
it's kind of reminds me of this, you know, it's, we, yes, we agree that this thing is getting people sick. It's highly contagious. It affects a certain population more than others. It affects geographical uh, areas more than others for whatever reason. Uh, and people are dying. It's all tragic. But the question is, you know, kind of like, why is this happening? How bad is it really? Uh, you know, uh, where do we need to be careful and can we get living uh, in a normal, somewhat normal capacity here to get the economy running? Those are those are the, the other side of the coin when it comes to is science valuable. Yes, it can tell us what's going on, but it, it also can be a, a little bit misleading when, you know, the data is only as good as uh, what's put into it. Correct. And, uh, you know, I think we've basically, it's been shown that the data is not uh, as good as what it could be. Uh, No, no, it's not. And I think that everyone from Trump down to uh, the the local, you know, your county board of health, has everyone's best interest at heart and you know in a small area like i live uh as far as i know no one in my town has gotten sick from this but we're a town of 3500 people so if one person in the community dies that's going to have a big effect on the community and so a lot of what uh dewine and these people are doing is from the heart uh, and you know what doctor, I mean, you can see when that's why every day I share these press conferences on my social media, because if you look at these people there, you can see the stress and the compassion on their faces. Uh, even somebody that's kind of like Donald Trump, isn't the most emotional guy, but you can see even in him, you know, um, that, you know, he really cares about this. So um, let's switch gears a wee bit uh, and wrap up. Have you noticed that Trump is excusing himself from the press briefings uh, the, the, this week, at least, uh, and turning it over to Mike Pence more often? Have you picked up on that? Are you still with me? Are you still there? It says you're connected, but I can't hear you. Well, I'm sorry about that, uh, Big John. I... um took out some headphones that I was using because my ears were starting to get uh, kind of hot and it reset the whole thing. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, anyways, where I was going was, uh, have you noticed that this week Trump is excusing himself from the press conferences and then sometimes coming back and sometimes not? You know, I, um, I've been kind of, strained with some other things this week but i did notice today and i didn't know if it was an anomaly or not that uh pence was the only one up there fielding questions 
so apparently this has been something that has been ongoing. I wonder, you know, is there rumors that maybe he's sick or that he's just tired of dealing with the press? Well, I think it could be he's tired of dealing with the press. Um, it, today he came out and uh, first things that he talked about was the uh, oil negotiations with uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia because they're driving oil prices down to the point where it's going to hurt the American fracking industry. Uh, also, they uh, he talked about you know some of the uh, calls he had with the pharmaceuticals and that they're going to meet with the airlines. And then he took some questions and then he turned it over to Pence. Uh, I think maybe Trump has realized that the media is so out to get him that he has become a distraction from the experts. And he wants the, you know, Fauci and Burks and these other people. Sometimes they have the Surgeon General on there. Uh, the other day they had Pompeo speaking. Um, and that's a Pompeo brought up some pretty good things too. I'll mention in a second, but do you think maybe Trump is excusing himself because he feels that he's just a distraction to the experts maybe? Well, I wonder if it's a couple of things. I wonder if it's sort of fallout from the idea that uh, the media isn't covering these things anymore. At least media have decided that they're not, well, let me just step back. I guess that's what I've heard people say. I don't know if CNN or MSNBC or the networks are not covering this like they were at, at one point. I think they have kind of, you know, one side of me thinks Trump's numbers started going up and they don't want to cover him anymore. Uh, so if they're not covering him, uh, maybe he's just kind of of the opinion, you know, I don't need to be out here. Uh, you know, for you know, uh, there's also possible that uh, maybe Trump um, is not really believing what some of the uh, people are telling him uh, at heart, and instead of causing um, a problem uh, by you know contradicting or saying the wrong thing, uh, he's just not going to participate. That's probably more in line with what. Uh, you're thinking. Um, so I, I don't know. It could be those things. Uh, it also could be he's just tired of dealing with the media, you know, and, and on that one, uh, I think that would probably be the more likely scenario. And frankly, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, some of the questions that I've heard these people, I mean, the other day they asked him, would he, would, would he pardon the Tiger King? <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't know what the hell that guy is. I hear, I hear about him all the time. And I yeah, don't I don't know what, either. And so, nonetheless, yeah, Trump's been stepping back, um, maybe for multiple reasons. Um, the media's constant just um, wanting to attack. Like last week, their questions centered constantly on uh, this memorandum that was out saying that there could be a pandemic coming from China. And did you see it? Why didn't you act on it in November and all this stuff? Um, and I think some of it is that, you know, he wants to sit back and let the experts have their say. And then when it's time to open 
the country back up, he's going to come back and, and go back to doing his thing. So I just thought that was very interesting that he is taking a step back from the podium, which is not <coughs> something he is known for uh, being quiet. Um, now, did you see Pompeo's bit? Maybe it was Monday. I think I missed that one. Well, my take is, you know, one thing, the media is constantly trying to create dissension in the ranks, I feel. But Pompeo and Trump both uh, brought up, you know, the World Health Organization lagged behind in their response to this. And now they're being critical. But at first... Trump said they were being China centric on this. And also um, they tried to corner Pompeo on, well, are there going to be ramifications for China for not releasing accurate data and not warning the rest of us about this uh, earlier when they first caught on that something was going on in this Wuhan province? And Pompeo said, you know, this isn't the time to talk about, you know, repercussions or things like that <coughs> against the World Health Organization or China. We've got other things to deal with. And he just shut them down real quick. Uh, he was there to talk about how the State Department has... basically rescued Americans that were trapped in some of these countries that are not doing as good of a job as we are at mitigating and controlling the spread of the virus and that uh, the United States State Department has worked with other governments to get Americans that were overseas on maybe a church mission trip or on a vacation or honeymoon back into the United States. And that, that's something that's gone unsung in this is the hard work the State Department is doing to rescue maybe what's a handful of Americans uh, that are stranded in some foreign country and they have to go get them from whatever region they're in to the U.S. Embassy to an American plane and then back to the United States. <clears throat> and so that was Pompeo's role the other day. And then him and Trump excused themselves after a few questions. So the State Department's doing a, a different kind of role in uh, as far as you know, rescuing Americans that are trapped in foreign countries and need to get home. Uh, and uh, that was something that hasn't been talked about a lot. <clears throat> To your point, uh, I watch these on YouTube and at least on their YouTube channels, Fox, CNN, uh, I don't know about MSNBC, but the Washington Post, uh, and I try to watch it on the official White House uh, YouTube feed, and they're all covering it, at least on their YouTube channels. I don't know about on their cable channels. 
but a lot of them have said I heard stopped um, showing Trump's section of the press conference <clears throat> and then they'll come back in when you know Fauci or Burks or Pence are speaking yeah I've heard some I, now that you mentioned that I have heard a few uh, rumblings that um, they would that some of these like uh, MSNBC would only cover what Fauci and the medical people or other government uh, department heads were talking about and kind of omit Trump because they're all convinced that Trump is lying, yet he seems to be right about almost everything. Yeah, and it, it was funny there, you know, Rachel Maddow and all these people, uh, once Trump's approval numbers started going up, like 60% of Americans approve of the, dro- of the job Trump is doing in handling this, and his overall approval rating is higher than ever. Uh, now they are, you know, against covering these press conferences. So, I mean, Rachel Maddow is against anything that Trump says or does. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're definitely trying to keep him out of the spotlight and keep from giving him any kind of credit for uh, the good things that are happening in this. So, what else is going on? What else can we talk about? Well, yeah, it seems like, you know, that's this is just all consuming. And, you know, I guess you kind of, you know, is it, is it the most healthy thing <laughs> to be consuming your life with? I mean, at a, on, a, on a personal uh, level, you know, for me, from about the first of March through last week, it was all that I could do to follow this mm-hmm. and tune into the wine with the wine at two o'clock and uh, all of those things and follow all of these social media posts. And it got to the point where, you know, uh, I was living on Facebook, living on uh, Twitter and Instagram, just checking things all of the time. And it became an overload. <coughs> it became sensory overload. I don't want to say that I was, um, you know, PTSD or stressed out or depressed, but, you know, it got to the point where, you know, even people that I talk with every day were like, you know, we, we gotta, we, I can't talk about this anymore. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And finally, over the weekend, I realized, you know, it really is. I mean, there's nothing that's changing. Uh, these press conferences, uh, though they may, um, you know, highlight some new things uh, that are going on, it, the, the, the relevant information is, um, and this maybe this is why Trump is kind of throwing his hands up, the, the relevant information that we're getting in these press conferences is about 5% of the whole thing. Yes. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go do other things or it's okay to maybe read about it later. I don't need to be a part of the live broadcast. I don't need to be, uh, you know, providing a status update, you know, frankly, who really cares? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, And I think, you know, as I think part of our dependency on this was we were so 
uh, not used to being locked in, staying at home with nothing to do, that people kind of fell back on to social media. And we're doing all sorts of fun stuff, you know, watch parties on Facebook. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do that again or whatever, but I think it's kind of run its course. And I think people now are, are sort of like, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. Um, staying at home uh, or coronavirus isn't getting, you know, uh, worse or as bad as was projected. And it's kind of like people are saying, all right, tell me when it's over. I'm going to be doing other things. Yeah. I, um, you know, I've noticed, I mean, I'm, well, I'm getting frustrated with some of my friends, idiotic Facebook postings uh, of, you know, Fauci for prison, uh, Acton is, you know, the Antichrist or something or other, um, all these things. <clears throat> Even to the point where I've called people out on it. But uh, these... Yeah, I mean, if you're saying that on a Facebook post, what no one one part of it is what did you really think of these people prior to this you know 98% of ohioans probably had no idea who dr acton was right and now all of a sudden after a month she's the antichrist yeah uh, that seems a little bit irrational to me uh i have some disagreements with i think where they're going with this but uh i don't think she's the antichrist i don't think she's uh, you know, subverting the Constitution. I think there are some questions that we should be asking ourselves just how far we think government should be able to go in these kinds of situations. But that's after this is over. You know, that's those are conversations that can be planted. The seeds can be planted now. And if the situation gets worse, you may have to address it. But that's not mission critical. You know, mission critical right now is getting things up and going and in a, in a responsible way and getting people back to work. Right. Yeah. The, you know, once they're the next two weeks are over, which they're saying are going to be the worst two weeks of this. Uh, they're that, saying that again. <laughs> well, uh, two weeks from the last two weeks. So right. the first of May uh, better come and we better get things rolling unless we do see 10,000 hospitalizations a day or something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's this week that they're really boxed themselves in finally. I mean, they got away with it, you know, the beginning of March, you know, this is a critical period. And then, you know, another week went by. Well, actually, we know we're getting into the critical period. And then another week went by, you know, the next, then they started like putting a number on it, you know, the next two weeks. And then the next week came by and then it was, well, it's actually going to be the next two weeks. You know, now we're here. We're at that month, six week window um, where you've run out of ability to say another two weeks. I mean, you're, you're on this. And right. they sp- even specifically said this would be the week. Um, and I think, Trump and Fauci and others have said, you know, this and next week would be the week. Um, I'm not well versed on exactly what the national numbers are, but I know here in Ohio, um, we've seen 
cases go up and deaths go up, but it hasn't been that huge spike. And right. so you're going to have to look at this at the end of the week and you're going to have to go, there's no way we're getting to a hundred thousand cases. There's no way we're going to have 10,000 per day. It's just simply not going to happen. If for any other reason, then we're not doing anything. Uh, right. You know, we're not doing anything. And uh, if the social distancing and the stay at home order is as effective as what they say it is, then if it takes two weeks for this to show up, we've been locked down for four. Right. So how can there be this spike in cases when we're already locked down? Yeah, we're, uh, I think right now we should be experiencing the uh, <clears throat> cases that came about through the um, St. Paddy's Day weekend where, you know, Trump or where DeWine said he got calls and text messages about bars and restaurants being packed. And so once we're through this, the mitigation has to have either worked or it hasn't, you know, there can't, we can't go as bad as what we thought. Right. So, it's time to start the plan of going back to work. You're right on that. Um, Yeah. And you're right on people just have to calm the hell down, you know, mm -hmm. just because somebody does something that you don't agree with doesn't mean that they're evil people with evil intentions and the constitution is going to be subverted. I mean, yeah, I've, I've raised some questions about, religious freedom and exercising rights of conscience and and uh, the right of the people to peaceably assemble um, those are important things to keep in mind uh, but um, I, I think we need to be focused on you know not going too too overboard at this stage it maybe it comes but at least at this stage with the rhetoric that, uh, you know, somehow we're all now communists. Right. Uh, so in, on the lighter side of things, um, we were both bracket people. We're both fantasy football people, but did you know <laughs> there is, there, there is, or there are, I don't know how, how grammar, how grammatically to put this, but there's an excess surplus of chicken wings in the United States right now because March Madness was canceled. I could help them out with that problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I say turn them loose. Uh, you know, put chicken wings on sale and we'll barbecue them ourselves. But uh, I guess the uh, farmers and, you know, wherever, uh, you know, had all these extra, you know, stock started getting ready for March Madness and then all the bars and restaurants closed. So now there's a surplus of chicken wings. That's uh, actually pretty funny. That might actually be Facebook post worthy. Where happened to all the damn chicken wings? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when this is over, we're going to have to have, you know, some, you know, I don't know, chicken wing eating contest or something to 
get rid of all the chicken wings. Well, so, you know, assuming that the chicken wings are still good. I think if they kept them frozen, they should be. Yeah. Well, I like so, fresh. So, yeah. I'm pretty Farm. picky with my chicken wings. <laughs> um, what? Oh, the NFL draft is changing because of this. Did you know that? I had heard something that it was going to go to um, a virtual, like the, all everyone is going to be in their, their homes or something like that, or if there are people together, it wouldn't be very many. Yeah, I guess the teams are going to have to do it from their team headquarters uh, and be social di- socially distanced uh, and things like that, but it's not going to be in one big room like it has been for as long as I can remember. Uh, the uh, NFL draft is, you know, kind of cool for like the first round and then you get to like round seven and nobody's watching, uh, you know, but <clears throat> this is one of those things that's um, changing, you know, because of the coronavirus. Um, they're not well, going to have it. Here's something on football to think about, you know, more than just a draft. It's they're talking about, you know, maybe we go back to somewhat regular living, able to go to places, uh, you know, midsummer, late summer or whatever, or whenever it is. Mm-hmm. Then, but whenever that happens, they're talking about uh, not being able to. Uh, congregate like we were for a period of time because there still isn't going to be a virus. So people who own bars and restaurants need to reconfigure their spacing uh, and their floor plans to account for, you know, some level of social distancing, even when you're in the public. And I started to think major league baseball saying that they may pick up the season at some point here but play all of the games at a neutral, empty stadium in Arizona. So that's interesting. But what about football? And what about the big money that that – we're talking billions of dollars now. The rest of this is chicken crap. (laughs) The billions of dollars that the NFL generates. And just think specifically about Ohio State football. Imagine – you want to know who's really calling the shots – Put questionable data in front of people that depend on billions of dollars for their survival and tell right. me where the where the needle ends, because I'll tell you, you follow the money at the end of the day. As long as people as long as it's not Monty Python, bring out your dead, uh, you know, kind of scenes where it's just carnage everywhere and people are overflowing in hospitals. If, if we have a situation like we have now. Uh, the football people, the Ohio State people, the people that make billions of dollars off of this one sport in some form or another uh, every single year, um, we're going to find out how serious people are. And moreover, we're going to find out, are they now going to let 50,000 people into Ohio State football games instead of 100,000 people? Uh, because of the new reconfiguration that we have to do until there's a vaccine? Uh, will they have to play the games in front of empty stadiums 
this is a long way down the road, but if you play this out, it's kind of like, you know, right now we're in a public health pandemic, an emergency stay at home, but yet people are still buying homes. They're still moving. They're still building homes. I mean, it's kind of, you know, people are still mowing the yard. Uh, the lawn crews are still mowing uh, highways and, you know, well, they're not mowing highways, but they're mowing the grass in between the highways. And it's like, is this really essential stuff? <laughs> right. Yeah. I still see, uh, you know, people out working, you know, like ODOT. Um, and we talked about uh, the wind and stuff. And today I actually, uh, on my way home from work, had to call the highway patrol because there was a huge tree blocking the uh, slow lane and you had to really go around it in the passing lane. And uh, I had to call them. It must have happened pretty recently because no one else had called to report it till I did. Uh, But there was a big tree blocking Route 11 uh, when I was coming home today. And uh, anyways, that's really off point, but you know, there's still things going on and still people that have to get out there and work in this. Um, And, you know, people are still going to work at the stores and, you know, they're not getting sick. Um, People are still shopping. I see more people with these masks on now that uh, the government has said we should all wear a mask. Will you be wearing a mask? I have one and I haven't put it on yet. I even have an N95 mask actually because uh, I was doing some heavy cleaning in my house that my basement hadn't been cleaned in years and I didn't know what the hell I was going to be inhaling. So I got a, a mask. Well, a, a, it was, there was like five, a five pack or something. And I still have four left. So... But, uh, no, I'm not wearing a mask in public right now. And the people that are wearing masks give me dirty looks, actually. Well, of course. You know, it's like yeah. the people, you know, in anything. You know, if, if they're doing something and you're not, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're to be singled out and condemned. You know, uh, somebody's telling us we should wear a, a mask, not that we must wear a mask. And so because a group of people decide to wear a mask and look ridiculous, then we all have to wear a mask and look ridiculous. Yeah. And, the, you know, there's, there's no saying that a mask is going to be perfect. I mean, I'm sure it helps, but remember when Michael Jackson started wearing a mask everywhere and everyone laughed at him. He was a little bit ahead of the curve. He was ahead of his time. Evidently, you know, like, you know, Dr. Fauci was a Democrat plant 30 years ago. The, the Democrats plotted this uh, coronavirus out 30 years ago and planted Dr. Fauci in the Reagan administration, evidently. Well, uh, you know, it, it, right. It's like uh, it's creating awkward situations. You know, you 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 see somebody uh, out in public and you kind of look at them and go, what do we do? Um it is uh, it is an interesting dynamic, you know. You mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of look at people and bow and go like this, and uh, you know, other people look at you and they go like that, and it's mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's what we do now. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, well, Dr. Fauci said maybe, you know, shaking hands needs to be a thing of the past. So uh, that could be kind of cool. Maybe future generations will be doing the elbow bump as a friendly greeting instead of the handshake. So, uh, well, with that, what's your your final take on everything? Final well, word. Yeah, you know, for me, it comes down to, you know, in situations like this, there's going to be a lot of discussion, and there has been here in the last um, hour and a half that we've done this, about what is right, what we should not be doing, who's right, who's wrong. Uh, those are important discussions to have. But when we're done with those discussions and we've talked a little bit about our differences, what makes America strong and is the things that unite us are far stronger than the things that divide us. And, you know, I can't sit here and say hashtag we're in it together because there's people that are in it a lot deeper than I am. But what I do know is that we'll get through it um, and we'll be tested. But that's what freedom is. That's what preserving uh, civil society is. It's, it's about a series of tests. And at least in this country, you know, we're going to be tested. And we're, and we're going to have to then expect that it be restored when the time is right and when we are able to make those decisions. And I think we just have to presume absent some major development that our leaders are, you know, are well-informed and they're making the right decisions on our behalf and, and not get wrapped up into the rhetoric and into the innuendo and the bombast. Uh, let's just, you know, we're not going to die from staying in the house. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, that's not going to cause anything to spontaneously combust. Mm-hmm. We just have to look out for each other, uh, you know, and recognize, take it one day at a time and, and uh, recognize that it's a Republic where got freedoms, Liberty, these things are valuable for us. And, we will get this under control. Yeah, I think, you know, for my final thought, you know, this is something that's pulled um, Americans together, not divided us. Um, You know, there's a lot of success stories of neighbors helping neighbors, um, whether it was, you know, the 400 people that sewed together N95 masks that were in storage and the rubber bands that hold them on your face, you know, were broke. Uh, and, you know, 26,000 masks now in one weekend, or whether it's people going out to the grocery store for their neighbor. Um, also, I, I want to remind everyone, and, uh, you know, I know you're a religious person too. This is Holy Week for us Christians and yesterday started Passover for the Jewish religion and they took the Bible out of schools. But now that kids are basically being homeschooled, this is a good time to teach your kids what this week is about. Uh, Today is or yesterday when we started this broadcast was Maundy Thursday. Today is Good Friday. 
So now is a good time to break out the old family Bible or go buy a Bible and teach your kids uh, what this week and what Easter Sunday represent. Um, so with that, uh, signing off, good night. God bless everyone. Pray for one another and we'll talk.